There are moments as a pastor that it is hard to stand up here and preach. Um, today is one of those moments for, for me. Um, my uncle Dave, he, uh, I, I grew up idolizing him, looking up to him, named after him, um, uh, traveled with him quite a bit. Uh, he actually was one of the people who tuned in every Sunday online, and he would, he would call me if Daryl was preaching and say, where are you? Um, he got sick about two years ago uh, after a long battle of uh, an illness that came from exposure to, to Agent Orange in Vietnam, um, passed away yesterday morning. And so, thank you for your prayers. I, I appreciate it. My family uh, appreciates it. And, um, yeah. Romans starts with this line that, that Daryl just, just read, the righteous will live by faith. And, and I, I think of the journey that we're, we're all on, of trying to figure out how, how to do this. When I, what I mean by this is, is how to move forward as followers of Christ in a, a world where hard things happen, in, in a world full of anxiety, in, in a world where we are left with all kinds of questions. And Paul gets to that answer. He says, the righteous will live by faith. And he spends most of Romans talking about how God, God is constantly reminding us of that reality through the person of Jesus. And that our whole identity is found as being people who are in Christ. He starts with that reminder, the righteous will live by faith. And as we'll see today, he, he ends with a warning, but, but a warning to, to cling to that Identity that we are in Christ, that we are called to live by faith in the midst of all of the challenges that are thrown away our way and in the midst of all of the anxiety that we, we live in. We can't avoid it. One of the most difficult sermons I've, I've ever preached was the last sermon I preached at Lingazi CCAP, the church that I served in Malawi before uh, moving back home to the States. It was a bittersweet Sunday. Haley and I absolutely loved our, our time uh, in Malawi. We, we always talk about it saying that, that ministry there was, was incredible and life was hard. Ministry was, was incredible and, and life was, was, was difficult. It helped us to, to expand our understanding of the kingdom of God, to understand our understanding of the Presbyterian Church. Did you know the Presbyterian Church in Africa looks way different than the Presbyterian Church in the United States? They're totally different, and we're all in the same same family together. So we were we were sad to leave, but we were really really excited to be coming home, to be coming back to what was familiar, back to what was comfortable. The sanctuary was packed this morning with with eight or nine different choirs. And the way that worship services work in Malawi is there would be a choir sitting there in the back. And the pastor would say, all right, it's your turn. So I'd call out to the Philbergs and say, Philbergs, stand up and sing. And they'd stand up and sing a song. And then there'd be a choir over here. And we'd say, all right, this choir over here, stand up and sing. 
and they would stand up and sing. So there are eight or nine different choirs. There were 20 or so uh, pastors from other churches uh, who all led various parts of the services. There were politicians. There were traditional village leaders, uh, prominent businessmen and women. I wanted that morning to say thank you, to share how grateful I was to be welcomed by them into their community and to encourage them as they continued to share God's love with their neighbors. I ended up preaching that morning uh, about uh, the, the moment that James and John go with their mother to Jesus and ask who's going to sit on the right and the left in Jesus's kingdom. The other disciples, they, they hear about that request and they, they get angry. And, and, and Jesus calls them all together as a community and he says, You all know how power corrupts people. But whichever one of you wants to be great, you must become a servant. You must become a servant. Whoever wants to be first must become a servant, just as the Son of Man didn't come to serve, or didn't come to be served, but to serve. Haley and I learned during our time in Malawi that pastors were kind of placed on this pedestal. And being a pastor was really odd for me to be placed in that, that place. Uh, placed on, on a pedestal right next to, to politicians and right next to traditional village leaders. Um, you had to be born into the right family to be a village head man or head woman. And, and politics were reserved for the wealthiest and the most influential and educated people. So for many, that meant that the easiest route was pastor. The easiest route to be uh, an influence in society was to become a pastor. And because of that reality, there were pastors who, who stepped into the role for all the wrong reasons. But I wasn't just speaking to pastors. Again, there were plenty of people in that church who led in various roles in society. And they all wanted to bring positive change to their country. And I wanted to remind them that in order to do that, Christ calls us to serve. I imagine that Paul felt something similar as he wrapped up this letter to the church in Rome. He was grateful and he was concerned all at once. Throughout the letter, he, he comes back to how we're made right with God to God's faithfulness and to what it means to live as a people who are in Christ. And then as we, we saw last week in the middle of chapter 15, he gets to this place that almost looks like an ending. It almost looks like a charge or a benediction. He says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. He could have stopped there. We ended last Sunday with this benediction because it is a benediction of sorts. It's a charge. He, he, he could have stopped and said, hey, keep going, overflow with, with the power of the Holy Spirit. Let other people experience that. Keep, keep doing what you're doing. Love others well. But he doesn't. Instead, he keeps building the people up a little bit more. He writes about his intentions, and then in chapter 16, he gets to this really long list of names. You might wonder why we're jumping from, from 1513 all the way to 1617. We're skipping almost a whole chapter. It's mostly names. It's mostly names. 
And other than Phoebe, the messenger who carried the letter, and Priscilla and Aquila, who Paul knew from his time in Corinth, we don't know a lot about the names that he lists at the first part of chapter 16. But we do know that they were tied together by their faith. He calls them co-workers. Co-workers in the Lord. He calls them uh, people who are in Christ with him. Again, they share that identity. And then after listing those 26 people by name, instead of ending with encouraging words about overflowing with the, the, the power of the Holy Spirit, he gives them a warning. He extends some more greetings. And then he reminds them of the reason for his writing, starting at chapter 16, verse 17. I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them. For such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. Everyone has heard about your obedience, so I rejoice because of you. But I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Timothy, my co-worker, sends his greetings to you. So does Lucius, Jason, and Sosapater, my fellow Jews. I've butchered that name, by the way. You asked why we skipped through the other names. That's why. I, Tretarius, who wrote down this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, whose hospitality I and the whole church here enjoy, sends you his greetings. Erastus, who is the city's director of public works, and our brother Cordus, send you their greetings. But now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all the Gentiles might come to the obedience that comes from faith, to the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I spent uh, a couple days this past week in in Yosemite, uh, and uh, it's really the, the tail end of of mountain biking season, the tail end of hiking season there. Uh, in fact, it's supposed to snow there on, on Tuesday. And, and two of my, my closest friends, they wanted to get in one last hike and one last ride before the season ended. One of the guys, uh, his name's AJ, he's an accomplished uh, hiker, and he had mapped out multiple hikes for us, multiple routes that we could go down depending on what was still open because of the season. But, but I have to admit, when we approached the trailhead and saw signs like this that said danger, I got a little nervous. It was cold. It was cold, and they were wearing shorts and, and, and short sleeve shirts. It, it, it was cold. There weren't that many people on the trails. And it's not like I'm in incredible hiking shape. So it took a few miles for my nerves to calm down. For those of you who know Yosemite, we ended up hiking along uh, the John Muir Trail to Nevada Falls and out to Little Yosemite Valley toward Lake Merced. Views like this made it worth the sore legs and the burning lungs. The hike also reminded me of the need to kind of look around and to pay attention to my surroundings. So as Paul concludes Romans, he's encouraging his readers to do the same thing, to look around, to slow down, to to pay attention to their surroundings. 
He's encouraging a, a relatively young church to approach the issues of their day with caution and wisdom. So when Paul wrote this letter, the city of Rome was in, was in what I, I'd like to think of as a, a relative sweet spot. It was during the first half of Nero's reign as emperor and uh, somewhere between 54 and 60 AD when he focused more on, um, Nero was focused more, more on that time on, on, on cultural development and uh, really more than anything else. He was about building up the culture of the Roman people. He built amphitheaters. He, he promoted games and sport. He emphasized music and art. He even acted himself. You could think of him as a man of the people. But it didn't last long, for those of you that know the story of, of Nero, the second half of his reign was full of chaos and full of absolute terror for his people. A letter written later in the 60s would have looked very different than the one that we have in our Bible. We're not totally sure who started the church in Rome, but we know there was a, a fairly large Jewish population in Rome before Jesus' lifetime, many of whom were brought to the city as slaves by Pompey after he stormed Jerusalem in 63 B.C. So by the time of this letter, there were many established synagogues. And the church was likely birthed out of some of those. So, so by the time we get... To the, the time that Paul wrote, it, it was the, the, the church had been around for 10 to 15 years. It was likely established in the late 30s, maybe the early 40s. And with Rome being a cultural hub, there was all kinds of people who came to the city. Philosophers, teachers, people selling things. A lot of different people coming to the city, and, and including some who had ill intent. So Paul starts the section by saying, uh, look out for the troublemakers, the people who stir the pot at your expense, the people who only want to whet their own appetite. Now, this final lesson for the Roman Christians echoes what he writes in Philippians 3, where he warns the church to be on guard against enemies of the cross of Christ. There he writes, their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach and their glory is their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. Now, our world today looks drastically different than it, it did in Rome or, or Philippi then. But the warning or reminder that Paul gives here in Romans and, and, and in Philippians, it applies to us as well. In Romans, the reminder is framed as, hey, remember that your identity is in Christ. If you only remember one thing from this book... Romans, from the series, the 27, 26 some odd weeks that we've spent in Romans, remember it's this, that Paul longs for our identity to be found in Christ, and that God is constantly working to remind us of that reality. And in Philippians, it's, hey, there's, there's a lot of people who are trying to lead you astray, but remember, your citizenship is in heaven. Now, we might call it something different today. But there's still plenty of false teaching and false information out there. And there are people who intentionally twist the truth to fit one narrative or another. Sometimes those narratives are, are self-serving. And this warning, it applies to us. We need to be aware of it. We need to be on the lookout for it. Especially when those 
bits of misinformation get, get enmeshed in Christianity. Now, my guess is that most of us here have, have heard something from a leader at some point, a, a leader, whether it's someone in the church or someone outside the church who, who claims to be Christian, a, a pastor, a politician, someone else. And, and as soon as they open their mouth and, and claims that they're Christian, we think something along the lines, oh, please don't say that. How many of you ever heard a Christian say that? And you said, oh, oh, please, please don't say that. Oh, oh, no. Ah, what do I do? There's a, there's a book in my, in my office uh, that, that's titled, I'm tired of apologizing to the, for the church I don't belong to. Um, please don't say that. Please don't do that. Ugh. Now I'm going to have to have that conversation with my friends that I'm not that sort of Christian. It's in those moments that we need to remember that our primary identity is in Christ. That our citizenship is in heaven. Our words, our response to that misinformation, to that, some of those blatant self-promoting lies, needs to be couched in our identity in Christ. Paul wants the church to grow in their faith and to learn how to thrive in a, in a multifaceted society. And a part of that is the reminder that there will always be, will always be an ever-present danger of false teaching inside and outside the church. That it will always be there. It's not always, always easy to recognize, which is what he's, he's talking about here in Romans. So we need to be on guard. N.T. Wright, he, he puts it this way. Paul sees that the church is caught in the crossfire of spiritual warfare. It isn't a matter of simply getting one's doctrine correct out of a sense of intellectual pride. There is a battle raging for the redemption and renewal of the world and of individual people. And the church is up against the powers of darkness. There is a battle raging for the redemption and renewal of the world. I love those words. And it's also a little, a little scary. So after extending this warning of, of this battle that, that's going on, Paul gets to, to verses 19 and 20 and he writes, We've all heard about your obedience in the midst of all that you're going on. You, you all have been obedient. Well done. Keep it up. Keep being a church that participates in the renewal of the world and the redemption of people. Keep participating in what God is doing in the world. He cheers them on. He, he, we've got this line in, in verse 20, right, where he says, May the God of, the God of peace will, will crush Satan under your feet. Keep it up. God has this. Again, you're in Christ. Your citizenship is in heaven. Lean into that reality as we face the anxieties of our day. And then he, he goes on to remind them that they're not alone on top of the 26 names that he, he lists earlier in chapter 16. We're all part of the church of Rome. There's other people who are with them as well. Other people who are with the church as well, even though they don't live in Rome, they're outside of Rome. There's, there's Timothy, Lucius, Jason, Sosipater, Tertius, the, the scribe who, who wrote down Paul's message. Gaius, Erastus, and Cortus. The Roman Christians may or may not have known these people that are sending greetings. My guess is all of them didn't know them. But Paul writes them down to convey the message that 
The church is bigger than what you're doing. You're not alone. There were plenty of others who were in Christ who were working through the anxieties of their day and inviting others to follow Jesus. Now, it wasn't just about Rome or Corinth or Philippi or Ephesus or Jerusalem. We need that same reminder for us as well. What we do here on Sunday mornings isn't just about Westminster. What we do Monday to Saturday together as a community isn't just about Westminster. It isn't just about the Conejo Valley. We don't stand alone. There are other churches we stand with. We should find comfort in that truth. Romans concludes with these words. Now to him who is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel, the message I proclaim about Jesus Christ in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all the Gentiles might come to the obedience that comes from faith, to the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. For Paul, from the moment of his conversion on the road to Damascus, it was always about Jesus. About living in a way that glorified him and about inviting others to to journey with him as they figured out who Jesus was. No matter the circumstance. It was always for Paul about being in Christ. During our our hike on Thursday, uh, there were more than a a couple moments where I wanted to give up, where I wanted to to turn around, to be done. My body hurt. And on top of all the danger signs, the warning signs that were posted along the trails, I had plenty on my mind. Tasks here that needed to be completed at church, things going on with my family that, that needed my attention. There were big questions small questions, a whole lot of anxiety. At moments, it was really difficult to enjoy the hike that I was on. Then we got out to Little Yosemite Valley onto a trail that that didn't really have much foot traffic where we we didn't see people for for a few hours. And for whatever reason, it was was, was just, just what I needed. We got out to this, this clearing, an open space, space with, with giant granite walls on either side. And it was obvious that, that the space that we were walking in had, had recently uh, suffered some sort of turmoil, had, had gone through some anxiety. There are remnants of burnt trees everywhere. But as we stepped deeper and deeper into the valley, we started to see that there was new growth coming out of the dead trees, the trees that had faced all kinds of anxiety. New trees sprouting up in the midst of an anxious landscape. I joked with my my buddies AJ and Jeremy that it would be a sermon illustration at some point. I didn't know it would be three days later. Um, But it's true. For the last year or so, we have been looking at a letter that Paul wrote to a church that was trying to find find, find its way in a challenging world, and in a changing landscape. In so many ways, we find ourselves in that same place today. 
And his reminders for the church in Rome are reminders that we need to hear as well. Remember that God is for you. God is faithful. Remember that God's grace is sufficient. And remember your identity. Remember that first and foremost, we are in Christ. Let's pray. Lord God, we live in anxious times. Help us to lean into you as we step toward tomorrow. Remind us that we are loved and that our identity is in you. We pray these things in your name. Amen.